0: I like the X-Men films in the majority and I like I like fir- the first one and, and the second one. Third was, you know, I was mixed on it but mostly didn't like. And then Origins is the worst of the bunch in my opinion. Uh, Wolverine Origins. What you're shaking my head. Origins the, uh, the, was not the worst. The, the Last I, Stand, the Last Origins Stand. Origins is far worse. The Last Stand is far the worse. only
1: film and I I love movies I go at least once a week. The Last Stand is the only movie where I ever desperately wanted to get up and leave and the person I was with would not let me leave. It is an insult to the X-Men, a franchise o- absolutely Origins
0: has. is a bigger I, insult by far. The
1: X-Men Origins is like a Looney Tunes cartoon and no one got the joke. I think it's it's great for what it is, but The Last Stand is unwatchable. <laughs>
2: Welcome to a brand new episode of My Comic Shop History. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. For a show with the word comic in its title, we've done a really good job of not talking about comic books. uh, But that all changes with this episode. So I'm joined by three guests. To my right is Mike San Gregorio, who is actually the first returning guest on My Comic Shop History. You were on the show a couple weeks ago for Comic Shop Business School, and you're back again now, so welcome. Very excited about this. To my left is Mr. Zach Walliner, Viewers of my comic shop documentary, the movie that I did about alternate realities, might remember Zach. He had a very memorable moment in the movie. Captain America, he's a comic book icon.
0: His wings are iconic, you know. His character, his heart, his soul is being a frail weakling who wanted to do best for his country. Not that he's some guy who is in the USO and that's probably where they're going to shoehorn the classic costume and then he's going to be like, get me out of this terrible thing, this is cheesy. And like, that's like, look, look, we did put it in there guys, you wanted that costume, we put it in there. So that he could like, take it off and think, I gotta get out of this, I'm going to redesign one that's functional and stuff. You know what, it needs to be functional, I, I understand that he's in the war. At least I'm just hoping, fingers crossed, that when he comes to the modern times and Avengers, they'll get something a little more classic 616 universe. Have the damn wings, Zach. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. If you want, feel free to like drop in the audio <laughs> of that, that epic nerd rant. But uh, if not, don't. But yeah, check out the movie. Rent it on Vimeo, and you'll see what he's talking about.
2: <laughs> Good stuff. Actually, you know what? Maybe instead of instead of Ralph Puma's music kicking this off, maybe we'll kick it <laughs> off with uh, with your.
0: Well, maybe maybe play a little bit of that and then crossfade it into the rant.
2: Look at that. This guy's directing Cross the, directing the podcast. The, goodness. <laughs> hey, I'm just here to help. And then across from me is a very special guest, Mr. Chris Delando. Hello. Hello. Delando, do you want to do you want to make all of our listeners jealous and and explain what it is that you do for a living? Sure. So uh,
3: I I work at Marvel Comics. Um, My official title is Junior Sales and Communications Administrator. Um, What that basically means is uh, if you hear about Marvel Comics and some comics that we are publishing, usually that has routed through me. So artwork, uh, interviews, stuff like that. You know, I work with all the editors and all the talent and. Make sure that you guys know what we are putting out. Because if you don't know, I have failed.
2: Obviously, you got the job. You're a talented guy. That's why you're there. But, I, you know, I can't help but take the tiniest, just the tiniest bit of credit for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no,
3: you, you should. You should. Um, I. Uh, so, w- when I met you, I mean, we didn't really know each other super duper well. But you, uh, when you were promoting my comic shop documentary, you, you entered it in the San Diego Comic-Con Film Festival. And uh, I had come out there with you and had such a good time. And, I mean... If you've never been to San Diego Comic Con as a fan, it, it's just it's unbelievable, and I just I wanted to go back so bad, and I wanted to you know do it again, and and I got a job writing for uh, for Bleeding Cool actually uh, two years later. So we what was that 2011 that we were doing my comic yeah. show documentary, yeah. So 2013 I went out there, um, and you know right from there I, I got a job. It was it was a right place right time thing, and uh, you know I was working in marketing at the time, and they really just liked what i was doing and i knew a lot about comics and happy i parlayed that into a career it feels like the heist of the century honestly i still can't believe i did it it's weird
2: zach you were also there uh for the comic-con yes did you have a good time it was, it was, yes i have a feeling i know where this is going <laughs>
0: but yes i did have a good time it was a bit overwhelming i'm used to the new york comic-con which i've been through uh aside from last year and apparently this year with, with the way the ticket sales go uh and I, you know, that could be overwhelming at times. But then San Diego was like ten times as big, though. I think New York has caught up in attendance, at least. Will you
1: come with me to New York Con if I buy your ticket and we do a theme costume? Because we will do that. If you dress as Wally Wackerman, I will dress as you, and we will walk around New York Comic Con for four days as that. As well, that where company. does your hand go? <laughs> well, that's up for you to decide. You and maybe our
0: wives. So. I have I have contemplated making a full body costume of Wally.
2: Wally is Zach's puppet.
0: Yes, it's, uh, it's 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 something I do. I, I I like comics, but I like puppetry a whole lot too, and it's what I aim to do as a career. And for more information on that, keep an eye on Flat Squirrel Productions' upcoming documentary, Wacky Man:
2: Rise of a Puppeteer. That's right, Zach. You and I have teamed up for uh, my next documentary project. There's a there's a plug for you right there.
0: I'm joining Steve Odo. And Jay Mizell, which has me a little worried, because every time <laughs> Anthony makes a documentary about someone, their store closes. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What does that leave me? It's a good point, actually. <laughs> I, you
2: know, I hadn't thought about it, but you're you're right. <laughs> that's uh, that's ominous. Uh, good point, though. This doesn't bode well. It really maybe it third
0: time's a charm, and everything will work out, and I'll be you know putting the Muppets out of business, <laughs> but but I doubt it. Why would you want that? No, it's a joke. It's exaggerating that I'll be like the king of puppetry and people will be like, Muppets who?
2: But back to that Comic-Con experience, Zach very famously, he came to Comic-Con for the screening of, of the documentary and then he missed he missed the screening because he was off seeing the Captain America movie, which was very ironic, yet very fitting because the, the moment that I alluded to that you have in the documentary is all about uh, Captain America's... Uh, costume in the movie and the lack of wings on the helmet Mm -hmm. so it was actually you know people saw that in the movie and then you ran in breathlessly during the (laughs) Q&A and we're like here he is he was just seeing Captain America and it was like ah it works yeah
0: it worked for a moment and it got you know a, a response I still was racked with guilt for like at least a week for that because I was just nervously trying to get a taxi and I was working with these girls at this like the, at this uh, like tavern that was in the mall where the theater was and they were like trying to help me get a phone number for a taxi cab these girls and like these little kilts you know it was some theme place where they were supposed to be like the hot girl waitresses and they were like feeling bad for me and I couldn't get a cab and like I was on hold with different ones for hours and Zach's
2: asking for a ride and they think he's coming on to them <laughs> and he's like no no I'm really, I just want to get to a documentary screening
0: but then uh, so then when I finally did get there I ran and you know I felt like a huge jerk but since you bring it up I know, maybe it's getting ahead of myself, maybe you're going to get into this. What's the this episode titled?
2: Ah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know yet. Oh, I thought you had a title for it. Well, you, and we, you know, we had a great email exchange leading up to this episode, and Mike, it was actually you who I said will, that we should call this episode... Uh, the Kooky Quartet. And that is a reference to... That is a
1: reference to the Avengers, uh, as there are four of us here, and my favorite version of the team is Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and the Scarlet Witch. Uh, I said that... Anthony Desiato would be Captain America, due to his affiliation with Superman. Chris is uh, Hawkeye, my personal favorite Avenger, uh, because he quickly moved on to bigger and better things. Zach and I are the twins, but there's a question of who is the crazy psychotic who will ruin the universe, and who is the crazy psych- psychotic who just betrays the Inhumans. Uh, we will find out tonight, hopefully.
0: Well, I've got the red mic cable. I don't know if that means I'm the Scarlet Witch. Oh,
1: I am. I am fine with that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. looks if like it I, looks Scarlet. like I have blue, and Pietro had a blue costume once, so I'll take
0: that. But, but. so I wanted to get that since it is Cap's Kooky Quartet. And Anthony's cap, because I figured I figured it was because he's the leader of this whole endeavor, and then that's what it was, not no. the Superman tie, because that's, that's he's, a reach, I think. But <laughs>
1: he's the
2: leader, but also his so so is
0: endeavor, and it's Cap's kooky quartet, because he was the leader. To be Cap, you need something, because you're missing something. And what does Cap need? As we've said,
2: oh, he needs those wings. That's 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 right. This guy has had a bag with him, and I knew there was a reason why he had a bag. <laughs> oh, my God,
1: you made the wings. You made the wings. You constructed them out of things you found. You this this is amazing. It's a shame amazing. that this is
3: an auditory medium,
0: because uh, Zach really did put together ex- uh, wings. Explain. I think I've gone deaf from Mike's reaction. I, I apologize. So, so I went to Modell's and picked up a headband. I found a blue one, appropriately <laughs> enough. And then today I had some foam core lying around from, you know, my arts and crafts and puppety stuff. So I just drew a quick little template, uh, traced it twice on the foam core, cut them out, and then used some uh, electrical tape to tape them to the sides of the blue headband. So (laughs) if you can fit those over your... My (laughs) huge head. And your your, uh, your headphones...
2: Well, here let me. Uh, I'll take my headphones off for a moment so that we can get a, a shot picture. of me uh, with these. I, Zach, I got to tell you, I, I'm extremely honored by this, and and if I was not 100 percent certain on the title of the episode before, I, I certainly am now. I mean, that, I mean, you know, it'd be disrespectful at this point, yeah. really, to call it anything else. <laughs> All right, headphones are coming off. Wings are coming on. This is tremendous. I, I hear the Star Spangled Banner in the background. It's I, think amazing. I think the wings are coming off. Just press the tape against the thing. Just like Cap did in battle. Thank you for indulging me. I knew that young Mr. Walliner here was up to something because <laughs> you know, I walked in, he, we Mike, you and I got here and <laughs> Zach was, was locked in the store <laughs> alone. Inside the store with no one else around. I, I thought that the store's worker, Steve Ryan, was still here, but he had he had he let me just lock you in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I came early because I wanted to pick up a Bizarro comic. I thank you for these. I think these are awesome. Again, I knew you were up to something because we got here and you had the bag, <laughs> and I was like, "All right, I knew I knew the puppet wasn't in the bag because that's not your puppet bag." No, I know that much. After oh, you all, have the you bag, oh, yeah, have puppet a puppet bag. Oh, you have a puppet bag. Well,
0: that's what he he stays in, you know, to keep him, you know, fresh from the elements and dust and whatever else.
2: <laughs> so, but you had the bag, so I knew something was going on. And then, when we were just warming up here, we noticed you you had your flip cam. <laughs> And we're like, what's he doing? But it was just out of sight; you couldn't see it from every
1: angle. So it's like, oh, something's going on. Well, that's
0: just the sentimental me. Honestly, also, I think this is a cool experience. I'm not going to, you know, do this again. And uh, actually, before- how do you know? Yeah, well, seriously. I, you know, this. I mean, this specific thing that we're doing right now. We might record another episode of this or another podcast. But this moment now. So, like, actually, before you guys got here, when I was locked in the store by myself, I was actually <laughs> just walking around this store. Filming with my flip, getting every nook and cranny Because I know we're, we're focused on comic books This episode, but you know, just, you know, for me This store, still, you know, I'm, I'm gonna miss it Just like, you know, everyone else has talked about this store Just to, you know, switch back to the main Thrust of the podcast A lot of people have come and gone in the different Areas of my life, but as Exemplified by the day of my wedding Only The people from alternate realities showed up Aside from family and, you know, family Friends, whatever, people from high school College this job, that job, nobody came, but the guys I invited from the store came, and as I mentioned that in in uh, you know a little toast, even Tom Darby came, and he was just <laughs> bit by a dog.
2: Was- <laughs> yeah, Tom was was actually pretty severely injured shortly before the wedding, and we all felt bad. Well, we felt bad for him, but we felt bad for you, Zach, because he kept going back and forth. Like, he didn't know. I mean, he genuinely no, didn't yeah, know if he was going to be able to make it or not. I was but-
0: really, like, devastated when I heard the idea that it wouldn't it wouldn't come because of how much, you know, the, the all all the guys being there meant to me, especially in lacking anybody else. And, you know, I understood, of course, in those circumstances, okay, you know, but, like, I think I was out with my brothers, like, And I got this call or this text, and I'm like, oh, man, Tom's not going to make it. And then he did, and it was all the better. And, you know, that all these guys were here for me and rallied for me. It was just so great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to keeping the, you know, dinners and whatever else, the connections.
2: Now, a moment ago, the audience got a taste of the dynamic between Mike and Zach when they were talking about the X-Men movies. And I'm I'm glad that 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 moment happened because that's... (laughs) in in a lot of ways the reason why we're sitting here today because I was trying to figure out this episode and I was like You know, I think people might like some comic book talk. We haven't really done it And the two of you i've witnessed this i've not participated i've just i've just been a witness I'm, like I don't I don't want to get in the middle of this But you guys have had some some heated yet very respectful and thoughtful debates on facebook About a lot of the things that we're talking about now, but I guess the question first for mike is is what is your wife's reaction when you're up into the wee hours of the morning <laughs> writing on the wall of Mr. Zach Walliner? She's like, what are, what are you doing?
1: What are, she, I mean, what did she say? My my wife, bless her, is is very she she understands that I'm passionate about all this stuff, sometimes to a fault. And she doesn't quite understand why I I, I I'm what appears to be arguing with him. And I tried to explain that when I talk to Zach about a particular point, it's interesting because we can be on opposite sides, like complete opposite sides of, a, of what appears to be a very minor issue, but Zach and I both take it very seriously. And it's almost, I hate to say it this way, but it's almost like a thought experiment. Like, how can we look at this issue that, that no one else that we know would really be into, and where can we arrive? Because more often than not, I come away from these conversations, for lack of a better word, uh, having a perspective that I didn't have before. And that's why I like talking to Zach, why I like going back to these things, because he shows me something that I can't see from the way I normally look at these things.
3: And that's really great, though, because it doesn't really exist on the internet. It just, it's, it's so foreign to have a debate with somebody.
2: And, you know, Zach, I mean, I have to give you a lot of credit. You know, I think in large part, the reason why we, we've become such great friends, the reason why you're here now, we used to have great Facebook chats about Smallville, after the episodes would air. Yeah, yeah. And often
1: initiated by you. Zach, you always begin these. I, I, I am not very active on, like, social media in general. You're the one who takes the initiative and in saying, hey, people out there who also like these things, what do you think? And you're always the one who starts these, and I say, oh, I have a very particular opinion, and Zach's one of the few people who's not just going to hit like and move on. Zach's going to say, I remember that issue. I acknowledge that character. It's like, you and I had an argument over, or I say argument, but it was a very good discussion over... The 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 female lead from Ant-Man, a movie that hasn't even come out, and I brought up some obscure character from an alternate Marvel universe, and you kept referencing the 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 more popular version from the core universe. And it was one of those moments like no one else would get this, but I love this. Like it made my lunch break or whatever we happened to be doing.
0: Yeah, I guess I hadn't even thought. I mean, it's nice when when hearing about it and thinking about it, because I guess I don't even realize it when I'm doing it that I'm initiating stuff, but I like you know, social interaction, even if nowadays it's done so much through online and computer, I'd like to do it more in person. This is right here. Great. But even outside of any podcast or movie or stuff, I, I'd like to – and even outside of the dinners, you know, I'd like to find other ways of connecting with you guys and other people because it's, it's – sometimes it's my weak point. So, you know, sometimes through the computer, through Facebook – I'm able to compile my thoughts and put things out there.
2: You definitely keep the conversation going. I, there's, I think, like one because uh, you sent me some of the <laughs> some of the 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 debates, and oh, there's yeah, one yeah. that's like six pages. Really, I,
1: I was yeah a little a little backstory about this. I was on vacation once, and I I don't I think they just oh they had just announced the the Ant Man film was going full bore and zach and i have very different opinions on the founding avenger henry pym who has as of yet not appeared in any marvel studio production for for whatever reason and you and i went back and forth for what ended up being a couple of painters to the point where my wife sat me down and said do i need to get involved is this person never going to speak to you again and i said
2: no quite the opposite this is one of the best discussions i've ever had about this i don't know if it was i think it was that conversation it might have been another one but there was one there was one point where Mike, you called Zach Zachary.
1: <laughs> yes, I remember this. And
2: he responded. He called you Michael. But the response is like they were like it was got a little short for a second, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, did. oh, like maybe a line <laughs> had been did. crossed here. Well, fighting I words. think
1: Zach said that. Zach said, "I hope I haven't offended anyone." something that I just would never expect to see on the internet. Zach was like, "No, no, no. I have to make sure that everyone knows we are not fighting. We are having an intelligent conversation." I always think of that because it's like. It, it, Zach respects the person he's speaking to, regardless of the topic. Well,
0: that's the thing because I've, you know gotten it myself misinterpreted online because it, again, it's one of those things when you type you you there's no tone, there's no inflection. And you could say one thing and people could read it as sarcastic when you mean it as sincere or you can, mean, you know, you, you're joking, but the person thinks you're being nasty.
2: You know, again, Zach, you had this this moment in the documentary and I want to talk about it a little specifically. Sure. But, um, you know, basically, you, you know, you were saying that the movie costume should be more faithful to the comic book version where he does have wings on the helmet. The thesis for this episode that I want to put forth for all of us to discuss and debate is the idea of faithfulness to the source material in comic book adaptations, both film and television. And sort of the the argument that I would make is comic books are so fluid. They're always changing. They change on their own with every new storyline, every retcon, every reboot. And then they're also influenced by the very adaptations that we're talking about. So, you know, taking Arrow as an example. Mike, you and I were talking about this before the show. Arrow
1: is an excellent example because the people who are watching the show have a version of Green Arrow and Oliver Queen in their mind that is alien to me. He's this young hard-ass guy he 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 has killed people in the past he's really conflicted he's much closer to batman than any version of i have whereas in my mind i picture errol flynn i picture a guy dressed up uh, an older gentleman running around doing what he can to help the the underclass for lack of a better phrase goatee
3: very important goatee Goatee,
1: man night and day but what you and i were discussing was well it's it's it, it comes and goes because that version my version is also a retcon i mean. At the end of the day, the green arrow of, of today of the show Arrow actually bears a pretty good resemblance to the original version of the character who was, hey, Batman's really popular. So instead of stealing from Zorro in the shadow, let's steal from Errol Flynn. Let's steal from Robin Hood, who's a public domain character. <laughs> let's uh, let's throw it at the wall and see what sticks. So at the end of the day, it's it's very easy to get upset because things have been changed. But at the same time, things were... Probably changed before you came to the character in the first place So it's 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 important to have context and to understand that there's a a wide history here
2: You know so building off of that so again If if comics are that fluid and they're always changing and they're influenced by these adaptations and it, it all goes around Is it really necessary to be so faithful, but even beyond that? Is it is it even possible to be faithful? if They're always changing. What what are you necessarily being faithful to? On the other hand, I, look, like, I see Zach's face. He's ready to go. <laughs> He's ready. But here's the other here's the other side of it, Zach. And this is I want to put forth both of these. You know, there's this stewardship role that comic book fans play, and you know, I mean, these comic book movies and the shows they're so popular. So many people are going to see them or watching them. But I do feel like at the end of the day, you know, the comic book community is sort of the the foundation of that audience. You know, there are certainly people beyond comic book fans watching these things, certainly. But I feel like the comic book fans are sort of the starting point. So, you know, these characters have to be recognizable to a degree. But I guess, you know, to what degree? That's sort of, I think, the, the heart of, of what I want to get at here. And, you know, for people who, who maybe aren't big comic book readers, that's okay, because I'm sure they've all seen one of these movies or television shows. They're so prevalent right now. Well, on
0: that note of these being so popular and prevalent, now I just wanted to chime in before we even get into the discussion. For people who haven't seen these things but might want to or read these issues, I think it's only fair that we should probably say... Spoiler alert!
2: Good call, Zach. Thank you.
1: You are you are very considerate, and I think you know. that's that's a lot of the 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 division between you and I is you you like think of other people, and I'm kind of like <laughs> no, what will tell the best story? What will get me interested? And you're like, no, no, no. Hey, guys, you gotta you know consider all these different things.
3: You know, that's an interesting point though. You said like what what tells the best story? And I'm sure we'll get into that because this mythology exists for you know 75 years for some of these characters, and it, it becomes how much can you bend it before it breaks, and I've I've always been on sort of the side of the story is is paramount to the continuity. Same. Yeah. And yep. You know, continuity is, is important in a lot of these these instances because without that you don't have that bedrock. But it, when you adapt it to another medium, like Oliver Queen is a perfect example yeah. because that that Oliver Queen is very very different. And I remember watching sort of the first two episodes of Arrow, and I, and I I actually really really enjoy Arrow, um, but I got a very very heavy. Batman Begins by a yeah. vibe off of Christopher Nolan Batman. And, and, and then that makes sense because those are popular with audiences. They, they made a lot of money. Um, you can sort of give that to somebody who, who only likes the Batman movies, which argue would definitely have more, more eyeballs on them than sort of the Batman comics. And you can say, hey, here, you like this.
1: I, I agree with what Chris said. And I actually think that it was probably... Uh, it may have been better because more people watched that, more people were reached, more people saw that, and as a result, came around to the comic book version, which, as far as the New Fifty Two is concerned, is just Stephen Amell. Um, and who's to say that that isn't a better version of the character? Because more people were reached, more people are talking about it, and you know he was never this popular before.
3: Devil's advocate to that. When, advocate. When, when, <laughs> when is it? When is it bad though? Because now. The comic book version of Green Arrow is the TV show version of Green Arrow, right? And the, and you know, taking it back to Marvel, ever since Iron Man came out, Iron Man is like written like Robert Downey Jr. I I, I know for a fact that writers sort of have 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 trouble sort of separating. The Robert Downey Jr. voice act from the Tony Stark comic voice,
1: but isn't that a good thing? I mean, do you remember Iron Man and Captain America when we started reading? Yeah. I mean, I got, oh yeah. I got images of Teen Tony. I got images of Cap in that armor, <laughs> and not that any of these are bad, but they were not compelling. And for me, Iron Man didn't work until well. Zach and I have discussed this, but until I saw Ultimate Iron Man, and then Miller transitioned pretty much that version over to have him fight Cap in Civil War, and then suddenly I'm getting Robert Downey Jr. and it's like, oh. Iron Man. That's a character I like. I didn't like him before. So,
3: so a little context uh, for Ultimate Universe um, from 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 the Marvel employee um, <laughs> around um, to and I guess this is sort of relevant to the discussion is that sort of around um, the late '90s. Um, Comics, I, for lack of a better term, were impenetrable. Marvel was guilty of this. DC was guilty of this. Comics were more or less impenetrable. It was super-duper hard to get into anything without years and years of prior knowledge. And so they got a bunch of sort of young, It's weird to think of them as young, you know, hotshot writers because they're now, you know, juggernauts. But, you know, guys like Brian K. Vaughn and Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Millar and Robert Kirkman and stuff like that. And they uh, wiped... Essentially... They wanted to have their cake and eat it, too, because they didn't want to undo all the continuity of, you know, at, at that point, 50, 60 years of Marvel. But they wanted to have something new and accessible. So it was its own side universe they called the ultimate universe. And it was an opportunity to sort of clear the deck and and rejigger some things and, and uh, realign some continuity and make it more seamless. And, and everything sort of fit together nicely and everything was e- easy, accessible. Everything had a nice number one.
2: You know, it was this ground level approach. To Marvel's most recognizable characters with its own imprint it existed in its own universe its own continuity and it started very small I mean for most of the run there were really only a few books it started off with Spider-Man X-Men Ultimates which was the Avengers and Fantastic Four and other books along the way but those were sort of the core especially at the beginning and the idea was yeah you can you can get you know readers into this they don't need to know decades worth of continuity of course you know this was in the early 2000s by now it's you kind know, of ironic. It has isn't its it? own yeah. continuity. Yeah. It's sort of
0: that's why it's getting smashed. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, like it
3: defeats its own purpose it, after a while. It was it was an accessible way to get into Marvel comics because the regular inline Marvel comics were not accessible. But as we were, and this is long before my time, but as we were able to make the main continuity more accessible, it's they sort of became redundant, and it okay. just became sort of a an alternate universe take. Especially you know about halfway through, they just started doing you know throwing things to the wall and seeing what would stick. And, you know, when it first started out, it was almost like a reinterpretation of the continuity that already existed.
2: I think that's a perfect word because they weren't exactly retellings, but like a reinterpretation. It it was very, I mean, I would say pretty traditional. I mean, it wasn't, it was recognizable. Um, and then the yeah.
3: movies well, along the way have sort of co-opted that. I mean, when you go back and you look at um, Ultimates, which is uh, was written by Mark Millar and drawn by Brian Hitch, came out in two thousand two thousand one. Um, it's a, it's still a great comic. It doesn't. Um, it hasn't aged super well. There's a lot of really weird references to uh, celebrities and and pop culture of the time, but. I the don't... story itself has influenced the Avengers franchise and the Marvel Cinematic Universe in an untold number of ways. If
1: Freddie Prince Jr. shows up oh, in either God. one of the Infinity War films, I'm going to be the only person in the theater laughing. No, I want Tony if Stark... he shows
0: up in anything these days, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I want Tony
2: Stark
3: <laughs> in a satellite with Shannon
0: Elizabeth. Oh,
2: <laughs> man. What are the ways that Ultimates influenced these, this current crop of Marvel movies? Well,
0: right off the bat... Samuel L. Jackson has Miller and Hitch to thank for his, his you know nine contract nine film contract right. in the
2: traditional Marvel comics, Nick Fury a is as a white man.
0: Yeah, he was a white guy who who had the Howling Commandos who were a team with Captain America in World War II. But I guess they wanted to go for a more realistic take. They don't have that sort of uh, sliding timeline that comics can afford, so it takes place in the modern day and Cap gets frozen and thawed out and. Present day, but for Nick Fury to have been around in World War II fighting then, and then you know being still around now, they probably thought audiences wouldn't accept that. Though it's a comic book movie, and there's tons of other stuff that they're willing <laughs> yeah, to accept. But... but he had the Infinity Formula or whatever in the comics is how they updated it as it went along. But for 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 the sake of realism in the comic book movie, they just had him not present in World War II, and he's the modern day Shield leader. And so yeah, they in Ultimates. Nick Fury was designed based on Samuel L. Jackson. So then when Nick Fury needed to be in a movie, they cast Samuel L. Jackson.
3: They even makes a joke in Ultimates. They're yeah, they're, they're at a cocktail party or something talking about what would what would a movie of the Avengers be like and who yeah. would play who. And Nick Fury says, oh, well, obviously Samuel L. Jackson. And it's it's ironic now because that was the first person to go. Do you remember when they casted him? I was like, I wow, you know. I can't believe they actually got Samuel L. Jackson to play Nick Fury. Well, because, I
1: mean, you know, I I don't know a lot about movie making, but think about it from their point of view. You know, you're not going to pick up. I love old Avengers I love Roy Thomas I love Jack Kirby I I love all this stuff but you're not going to give that to someone and say make a movie of this there's like 30 different characters in those old books but you give them the ultimates and it's like oh that's that's Manhattan (laughs) you know Brian Hitch to go back to the art he he drew Manhattan he drew where we work like uh, I remember looking at that and like saying oh those look recognizable those those things are storyboards and they're made to tell a different type of story so the ultimates it, it goes back to stewardship it goes back to saying Mark Miller, Brian Hitch, they love the Avengers, but the Avengers become unrecognizable. They become a detriment to themselves. So it's like, well, how do we show the rest of the world what we like about these characters? while always making more relevant. Zach, to go back to something you said, um, the, the phrase, well, it's a comic book movie. Yeah, that may hold certain weight today, but I mean, think about nick fury the, the the white guy back in the day it's like he was created by people who had served in world war ii like he may have fought ridiculous foes but i mean it's it, it was no different back in the 60s like you would have nick fury running around with the howlers it's like they were all veterans when they were drawing that like that wasn't out of the ordinary and the infinity formula and all the other retcons that was added by later car- by later creators who said well we still want to tell those stories because we're now farther away from world war ii we don't have that experience but that's a great time to tell a good superhero
0: story. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, why couldn't they have adapted that into the movies? Oh, sure, sure. I just I, I they just have a to... super soldier formula. They have a big green monster. They have a, a space god, which is you know they changed that. But, but too, you're but, still. but
1: you're saying that you're saying Nick Fury and World War II are connected in a very uh intimate way and and what i'm saying is no i think the best thing about fury and chris and i mentioned this before is this is this is a man who has a special relationship with with battle with struggle with fighting And, and you see in the films that sam jackson is able to convey that
0: that's fine but i think they could have done it with the classic 616 which is the designation for the the typical marvel universe uh
1: yeah, but do you think a World War II setting would have made as much sense? No, as I'm not Samuel? talking
0: about a World War II setting. I'm saying in Captain America's first movie, he could have been there amongst that crew, and then later he shows up running Shield, just like they did in the comics for the decades of continuity before the Miller and Hitch said, "Hey, let's draw Samuel Jackson, call him Nick Fury, and then the movies can base him on that."
3: Well, maybe that's maybe Nick Fury in World War II is a bad example for the movies, but that sort of slavish continuity is kind of what necessitated creating Ultimate Universe in the first place because it sort of became too bogged down and when you when you try to overload an adaptation with that it sort of it again becomes impenetrable and I think that's why Millar and Hitch's Ultimates is so great cause, and the Ultimate Universe as a whole because it really distilled down what was important.
0: Okay. Look I'm not saying that you need to incorporate everything from every issue going back from a comic's entire history but I just felt when they were making Avengers and some of the films leading up to it they took a lot more from the recent alternate ultimate and other interpretations that I felt weren't necessary just like a you know with me it goes back to cap's costume I think if they wanted to pull off a classic 616 cap costume they could have but they decided to instead have the painted on wings they decided to have stars on the shoulders what what is that what purpose does that serve aside from looking like the ultimate guy these straps these extraneous things honestly my favorite film um section of the first captain america film is the USO sequence. And right there, that's that shows both my uh, affinity for the classic material but also my willingness to accept changes f- where they fit for the movies because I'm not saying it has to be exactly like every story before because Cap was never a USO guy performing like that or at least as far as I know, that is not his origin. But in the film, it works because he is this very brightly colored Costume, comic book character with a silly name. If if you put it in a real world setting, Captain America, how do you how do you explain that name? How do you explain that costume? Having him be in that and awkwardly and uncomfortably, and then he goes out and becomes the soldier he wants to be, that's great. But I feel like you know, in that scene. That is my Captain America. He looks as close to the comic Captain America as he ever does on screen. But of course he's looking in materials that are very nineteen forties and with the dancing singing girls and it looks, you know, very sewn together and hokey. I feel for at least even if they didn't do it in that World War Two setting, when he came to the Avengers, they could have updated but kept that basic one, which I felt in the Avengers, that was the closest to sticking with it with certain changes. I don't know why he has silver lines on his shoulders. It just feels extraneous. What are those? And then he just has this dome on his head, and I feel it looks off because he doesn't have those wings. They break up the design a little. They look iconic. They're the classic thing there, and it's just, you know, I know I'm repeating the thing everyone knows <laughs> I, me for, but I want I to really.
3: Go, I want to go back to the aesthetics. Um, Cause I, well, I also want to talk about the dome because I actually do. I don't. I wasn't a big fan of the dome in, in Avengers, what but I think
0: dome. What the, we, like his he, head is just this flat circle thing. If you have the wings, it breaks it up. It gives it a design. You you mean like the mask he's wearing? Cowl, know, mask, cowl. helmet, whatever you want to call. it. Oh, it it's just oh. a pure dome shape. It's just flat to his head. It looks circular. pretty off in in the first Avengers movie. They got oh, it right God, in like Winter know. Soldier. Winter Soldier and, is and and the Avengers one I'm thinking two, of. Yeah, yeah.
3: The, the they did they did it right. But they, does. Does having the aesthetic change, like not having the wings, does that change the character view? Well, like, no,
2: that's, you know, yeah. that's a, a fantastic point. And that was what I was going to ask because, you know, we're talking about faithfulness to the to the comic books, but there are so many different elements of that because, you know, you're talking about the costume, but then you have, you know, particular storylines and I want to get to Civil War because I think that's very timely mm-hmm. and there are a number of, of layers to that. But, you it's know, you have the costumes, them. you have, you know, the storylines and then, yeah, you have the characterization. So at least to a certain extent, it seemed like the change in costume impaired your your enjoyment of the movie, but, I mean, would you agree that the the spirit of the character, they stay true to that?
0: Well, that's what I'll get at, yes. So the thing is, it's a mixed bag, because watching him, he's in that costume for the majority of the movie as Captain America fighting. But I mostly enjoy that movie because, between the filmmakers and Chris Evans' performance, they nailed Steve Rogers. And I, for me, they passed the test early on when Erskine asks him do you want to kill Nazis and he goes I don't want to kill anybody and I'm like that's Steve Rogers right there yeah. movie, but, but
1: he also says I just don't like bullies yeah. which is such a such a perfect encapsulation of exactly what that
0: character does. Exactly, and that is Steve Rogers yeah. going. The A doesn't stand for France, which you throw in my face pretty frequently, is not Steve Rogers. That's ultimate. That's some other character who's a jerk who goes and beats up people. Yeah, that may not be. That may
1: not be your Steve Rogers. I'm got to be honest with you. That's my Steve Rogers because I remember. Yeah, poor when, taste. There's a scene towards the end of the first book where Captain America, this this you know, right wing guy from the 1940s, I love. I love this so much. Yeah, I love it. I love it too. He's up an extraterrestrial nazi he's beating up this perfect idealized foe of an America that that did not exist when the when the Avengers were originally written. And he points to his head and he says, uh, the, the 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 villain in question had said, you need to surrender. You cannot possibly win. And and he says to him, I w- I cannot surrender. And he points to his head and there's an A there and he says, Do you think this A on my head stands for France? And it's such an absurd moment. Like of course of course Steve Rogers would not say that, but
3: this this That's why character, it's bad. And this, but you say bad, but it's just different. I want to stop you guys both there because I know you both have very strong opinions <laughs> on this. Over over what is and isn't your Captain America, can't they both be? Yeah, you know. And yeah. and back to the fluidity of the medium, comics. It's one continuing story for seventy five years with hundreds upon hundreds of different creators, and everyone has a different voice, and everyone adds a little thing to the pot. A little, so everyone takes something out of the pot. It's always it's always shifting. It's always changing. So. What your interpretation of Captain America is, is not always what yours is. I see this every single day when we when we do when we do press for something and say, well, that writer is not my X-Men writer, or you know, that guy doesn't know how to write the X-Men because everyone has a certain idea of what the X-Men should be written as or what Spider Man should be written as, and, and it, it doesn't always align with what the continuity is or what the what the current status quo is. So while I think that does this A stand for France is amazing, <laughs> I, I understand that it's completely flies in the face of what Captain America was up until that point. Yeah. I also think that things need to change. Things need to update. Sure. I don't necessarily think that that was the perfect way to update <laughs> no, it. No, no. Yeah. It has, hasn't aged super well. It, it really fair. hasn't. But there, there's something to be said for the fact that all of the the cinematic universe stuff is coming out of the ultimate universe. Well, not all, but most of the cinematic universe stuff.
2: Jumping off of what you said, you know, take Superman. Going, going back to the DC sure. side. My favorite character. My... Ideal Superman is, in a lot of ways, the one I grew up with. His pa- his adoptive parents, Jonathan and Martha Kent, are alive. Lois Lane is his love interest. He wears the red underwear on his costume. You know, it's more of an emphasis on the man rather than the super. Currently, his secret identity has been exposed. He's not wearing the traditional costume. He's in a t-shirt and jeans and has a he buzz like, cut. He looks
3: like Superboy. And even before yeah. that,
2: he yeah, had he this like one Connor like Kent.
0: one piece thing where they got rid of the red trunks. Where the new Fifty Two, everyone got a new costume, and that carried over to Man of Steel. Right, Lois, not, not my Superman.
2: <laughs> Lois is not his main love interest. In fact, she's the one who exposed his identity to the world. Wonder Woman is his primary love interest. Jonathan and Martha are are dead in yeah. this in this version. So, but if Warner Brothers were to do a movie. With that Superman, well, it is faithful to the comics you know or this at least this period of the comics, so they, they did do a movie with and that they yeah, yeah yeah,
0: well, that's synergy for you when my argument there is with you know ultimates or or new fifty two or whatever you know current thing there is, when we're only finally now living in this golden age of superhero cinema, people have grown connections with these characters for you know, Captain America, he came out in 1941, so that character's been around mostly throughout that time, so you got like 70 years of history, and then you've got 10 with Ultimate in that version, that a-, a is not France guy, so when I finally get to see really a big budget, nicely done Captain America in a world where he shares with Iron Man and the Hulk and Thor and all that, do you want it just based on this one isolated one or the one with the more history that so many people have been invested in for decades and yes even all those decades there's changes because comics have to change and sometimes people argue they don't change enough there's always a status quo that it returns to or whatever and that's true you know death in comics is like a joke because it doesn't last but that's the thing this is an ongoing medium it's not a TV show where they're going to have this many seasons and there's an endpoint, or a movie. People might think I'm a stick in the mud or just stuck on my ways, but look, I'm all for changes where they fit. Sometimes I think changes are just made for the change sake or they fear mainstream audiences won't see them like the wings. Again, going back to the wings, I I, I am a little looser than maybe the whole you know hitting on the wings over and over thing has, has made me look.
3: <laughs> the Ultimate stuff is movie ready because it's just 70 years distilled into 10. It's a greatest hits almost. It's like when you go buy a greatest hits album of, of of a of a band that you really like you, you 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 separate out all the all the filler all the stuff you don't necessarily really need and you've got this sort of finished package that's sort of easy to hand to someone and say here's a really great snapshot of why you'll like the Beatles or why you'll like Captain America if you can you can hand someone the ultimate trade and say, hey, if
2: you like the Avengers movie, you'll probably like this.
3: You can't really hand them a Roy Thomas comic. No, you can't. You can't even really hand him a Stanley Jack Kirby comic.
2: You know, I think this kind of touches on something very critical here. You know, we're talking about adaptations, not yeah. translations. And so, again, you know, you mentioned, Mike, you know, how Ultimates is, you know, they read like storyboards for a movie. And, yeah. and you know, Chris, you said they're, you know, they're movie ready. So they're, you know, sort of designed for that. You take something like Watchmen.
3: That was, I'm so glad yeah, you I'm brought so that Yeah, I'm so glad up, you brought that up.
2: Which... I think would fall in that category of, of really a translation. I mean, they changed some things, but not a lot, no. and it was not very well received. Well, I, frame I, for where, frame, where, do,
0: where do you all stand on that movie? I like it
3: because I like Watchmen so much um, because I love Alan Moore, and it, it really is a it is a literal tr- like translation. It's frame for frame, it's shot for shot, um, but it's it doesn't it doesn't hit. And I think it's a I think Watchmen is a really great. Example of how some things just don't translate to a different medium how some things work in comics, but don't work in film
1: I think that's intentional I think Watchmen is a very good example of what comics can do that no other medium can and not to paraphrase Alan Moore but I think that was the intent like Watchmen is so well regarded because there's Storytelling mechanics there's panel usage. There's there's bits of dialogue. There's there's things in the background that pros Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly you can read that comic Literally, you read it once and it tells you a story and then you get to the last page and you see that the the, the gentleman in the smiley face shirt has the journal. And then you read it again and you're reading it from his perspective. There, there is something embedded in that story that is linked to the medium. And when you adapt it to film, I really do believe you, you have to find a way to do something similar with the medium of film. By adapting it frame for frame, you're almost saying... I read this comic, I like this comic, I'm going to try to tell you why I like this comic without really getting that across.
2: You know, there's definitely an, an art to adaptation. And one example that I always come back to is DC, The New Frontier, which is by Darwin Cook and one of my all-time favorite comic book stories. And DC did an animated adaptation as part of their direct-to-DVD movie line. You know, they're very specific about keeping the runtimes to around 70 minutes, and we always say, "Gee, for some of these things, it'd be, it'd be great for them to go longer." And new frontier was one where a lot of people argue that, but I kind of felt that it was really streamlined. And what they did for the cartoon that they that wasn't necessarily in the comic was Hal Jordan was very much the point of view character. In the comic, you definitely get a lot from his perspective, but he's he's one of many. And I felt like in the cartoon, it was really through the, the lens of, of his character. And I just felt that that gave that movie, you know, uh, a focus. And I, I think that was an adaptation that, you know, that worked. Then you have something like Dark Knight Returns, the animated version, and that's really, again, more along the lines of a translation than an yeah, adaptation. Really, really straight up. Like, very much so. But, I mean, I enjoyed it, and they did that. That one they did in two parts. So yeah, they that, really covered everything. That was
1: given the amount of the amount of time, and I almost feel like. That was too much time <laughs> because, it, you know, probably could have streamlined it. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of these things like there's something to be said about being able to read one of these comics and being a, a competent storyteller and saying, well, all right, how do I adapt it? How do I streamline it? How do I tell this story in a period of time where you're not stopping and starting? I mean, to go back to New Frontier, you, you read an issue every month. There are cliffhangers. Actually, I love the movie adaption, but they left out my favorite subplot which is the losers you get a little bit of it but the idea of a bunch of characters or sorry the challengers of the unknown where it's a bunch of very human characters that you know that uh, haven't been touched on a lot since their original appearance and it's like oh wow this is a new story featuring characters i was never exposed to and in the film it's like oh green lantern i know green lantern i've seen green lantern
2: many many times what about those other characters with something that is really more of a, of a one-to-one translation. Do you find that you enjoy it any less because you you know what's coming? Would you enjoy it more if if some, there was a twist that you know you weren't expecting because it's a big deviation from the hmm, comic?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, again, it's a it, no matter what, it's a completely different medium, so you're getting something different no matter what, even if it's word for word. Seeing panels with you know, onomatopoeias in your face and you know still graphics and you're just sort of connecting the dots in your imagination versus a moving image whether it's live or animated it is something different and mostly you know in any adaptation for the most part they don't just take all the word bubbles and that's the script so you're getting something different so it might just be exciting to see that brought to life either way so I'm not sure because again most of the time you don't get a direct thing there are changes Sin city yeah. I yeah. you know that was not something I read or watched I watched some of the original one but uh yeah, I'm not especially invested in it. But that's another thing, too. It's interesting when they're, I'm watching something that I'm not super invested in or don't have the. Problem. So I don't know if that helped me enjoy Guardians more because I haven't really read a lot of the Guardians. So maybe I had less
2: knowledge to nitpick about them. That's a fantastic. I'm so glad you mm-hmm. brought that up because there was something that I emailed you guys. There's a, an article on Newsarama that just went up about 24 hours ago. In the article, they, they talk to a psychologist and an anthropologist, and they talk about what <laughs> they call yeah. fan outrage you know basically everything that we're talking about about the way fans react when when these changes are made and the idea is put forth that that we as as fans and readers and that it's especially (laughs) heightened in comic book fans that we have a mental map of these characters and when something deviates from that it's it's very jarring psychologically
0: yeah I don't want to rewrite my mental map Mm -hmm. just because you know because of some corporate mandate um but yeah what if the the new (laughs) map is better i'm sitting right here you don't want
2: to have to rewrite your map because of some delando who's like i got a great idea the audience will love this (laughs) that guy
0: look again going back to what they should and shouldn't do adapting and stuff like look civil war is one of my favorite storylines i really liked a lot it's what got me into Captain America. I had no interest in him before Same. Civil War.
2: Yeah, I mean, just to give some context for Civil War is a very popular Marvel storyline from a few years back where uh, the government decides to force all of these superheroes to unmask and register with the government. And so you have Tony Stark and the government on one side, and then you have Captain America on the other side. And the heroes all you know fall in line with, with one or the other, and hence Civil War. And Spider-Man is really the a critical character in that, and really the point-of-view character, because he's he's the one who who starts on one side <laughs> and then ends up on the other.
0: They've said they're going to make Civil War now and it's going to be as far as I understand the first time we see Spider-Man in this shared universe. Now, on that note, where my flexibility is because Spider-Man was not there from the get-go doing his thing. One of the key moments in the second issue of Civil War was Spider-Man revealed his identity to the world. And that was always his secret identity was so precious to him to protect those, you know, he loved, you know, the villains from going after, you know, the people close to him. I don't think that should or ha- or will necessarily happen in this movie. It was such a major moment in Civil War people are going to be like how if if there is a stickler in that aspect of me, oh you, know, you got to stick with the comics and adapt adapt them exactly. With the established Marvel Cinematic Universe, it makes no sense for Spider-Man to unmask because we're just meeting him and then he's going to unmask that takes away so many story potentials for the future Marvel slash Sony collaboration movies. The the world's just going to know him off the get-go? No, he's going to be a new guy, and maybe they can do some of the push and pull between uh, Iron Man and Captain America's sides with him, which I want to see, and I feel that's why it's the perfect place to introduce him, but him unmasking just doesn't make sense within that context, and I can totally accept that not happening. The
2: idea of changing... talking about
0: changing things in the movies that then change things in the comics.
2: Oh yeah, oh, well, I meant to touch on that. Oh well, that's actually that's not where I was going with that, but but that's a good point uh, as give well. Give me a mm-hmm. break
0: with Marcus Johnson. Oh wait, no, he's Nick Fury Jr. and now he he, he he got his eye poked out, and now he drew he grew up goatee, and now we're shunting the original Nick Fury off to the moon so he doesn't <laughs> matter anymore.
2: <laughs> what you just described is how Marvel Comics retooled their Nick Fury character to reflect the version that we see in the movies. Yeah. Look, so some of these, is-
3: some of these things are executed more um, smoothly and, and hold more than, okay. than others. I'll be the first to admit. Um, I think the argument there is someone coming in from the movies, seeing the, the Nick Fury as he exists, you know, the, the older guy, white guy chomping a cigar. Who Who is that? You know, I, I I don't understand. And and then they could go buy the trades and buy other issues and discover who that Nick Fury is. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, there's an there's an argument to be made for that, definitely. But there's also an argument to be made in the other direction that it, it goes back to that sort of impenetrable argument that we had
2: before. I think that's a great point. And I mean, Zach, so I guess let me ask you, I mean, do, is there any sense of, betrayal is probably too strong a word, <laughs> but is there any sense of like, I'm the longtime fan. I'm the one who's been supporting this. And you going to make these changes to to appease and appeal to these casual moviegoers. Is there any element of that?
0: Yeah, I definitely would, would feel that because I'm more invested in it. And I know, again, it's a business and they want to bring in more readers. But how many you know more readers are going to come on because they see Sam Jackson in a film and they're going to be like, well, no, now you need to cater it to me. With respect to this
2: notion of, of ownership, the sense of ownership that, that comic book fans feel, Mike, it must, I know, it must be it must be a coincidence because the last time you were on here, we quoted Mark Wade, and I'm going to mm. quote him again. Yeah. Uh, this was actually just a, a Twitter interaction that he had, I think, the other day, where someone said that they weren't, they hadn't been reading Spider Man prior to One More Day, but they didn't like One More Day, the storyline where Marvel undid Peter's marriage to Mary Jane. And Mark Wade's response was, "Well, if you weren't reading it, if you weren't buying and reading it, then you weren't the audience anyway." I guess that's my question. I mean, do you really have to be participating? In order to in order to feel that sense of ownership, in order to 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 have that fan outrage,
1: I kind of know what what Mark is saying, Mark Way. Again, once again,
2: I on, the first like I'm on a first with name this
1: guy. basis, I have never met <laughs> this Mr. man. Wade, I, I am on a
3: first name basis with him. Chris again lives the <laughs> life
1: I wish I lived. Um, you, you watch the movies, you do whatever you want with them. You play the video games, you buy all the merchandise and stuff, but when we buy the comics when we read them when we get the older ones when we discuss them we're we're discussing kind of the source of this stuff and that's why i think fans of this stuff they feel a little entitled sure you know we we were all like debating all this other stuff but i can't even imagine what goes into a movie like you were talking about the captain america costume before and you noticed all these details i didn't even notice but it's like yeah someone's full-time job was to make that thing and it's like yeah we feel ownership because we have all these comics where no man you know jack kirby drew that or whoever it was who drew it when you were starting you know again i i like the brian hitch costume but it's like we feel ownership because we were here first and and we're going to continue to buy these things as long as they're Produce So it's like, we, we have to be loud because we want to be loud. But at the same time, it's like our participation stops at, at a period of time. It's like you bought the book, you, you read it and that's great. And you're going to continue to do that. But like, this is something else. And I think we have to be able to separate the well, two.
0: I don't know. Again, I think, you know, we, like you said, it's the source. The comics are the source for all of this. There wouldn't be comic movies if there weren't comics.
1: But I also believe you're talking about a smaller group of people, like the highest selling comic of the year. is not going to come anywhere near-reaching the amount of people that a movie will.
0: Right, but the movie wouldn't exist without the, the source material. Well, yeah, it, so yeah, it, I know a lot more might. people see the movie than the <laughs> book, but the movie of the comic book wouldn't exist without the comic book. That's what I'm saying. It's the source material. Yeah, it don't is they an adaptation. It, don't
1: they owe it to the millions of people who are going to watch the film? Right, of, to- course,
0: of course they do, but I don't think certain drastic changes need to be made to appease those people when you could still... Keep it relatively faithful and make changes as needed, so that you're pleasing both. And the, you know going back again to the wings, I don't think some person who came to see a superhero movie without being a longtime Captain America fan would have gone in there and said, "Those wings look stupid. I want my money back. I'm not. I'm not watching this movie. I, I'm gonna ask for my money back because he's got wings on it and it looks goofy. It's a comic book superhero movie. It's he's wearing a, a blue and red and white ca- uh, costume." I don't think the movie or the audience or the box office would have suffered for the wings.
3: You and I differ on on opinion on this cuz I, I and I'm respectfully of course cuz I love the wings and I, I love seeing it on the costume and and I love the Jack Kirby design, but I don't think the wings necessarily are the are the 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 end all be-all for Captain America's costume. Like the example I would give is the um, the Dolph Longren Punisher movie in the 90s. He doesn't have the skull at all, so he's just like a dude in a trench coat murdering people. And you, and <laughs> you would not know that's the Punisher at all and under any circumstances for, for a number of reasons. But, like, the skull is integral to the Punisher costume, but I don't necessarily feel the, the wings are essential to, to Cap. Because, you know, like, if you look at him in, in Winter Soldier... He's got that stealth suit on and it's it's very muted. It's got the star, but it's not um it's not very bright colored, it's not red, white, and blue, it's just kind of like a blue. But he's still got the shield and you're like, Okay, that's Captain America. Sure, but you know, I get it. I get it.
0: Yeah, this I mean if he didn't have the shield, then it would be absolutely bonkers. But yeah, I, I mean for me personally, the wings are, you know, classic, iconic part of these things, just like the red trunks. Like Henry Cavill's Superman doesn't have red trunks, doesn't have a spit curl. He's less of Superman because of it, in my eyes.
2: See, and that's interesting, and I, I think it's, you know, it's different for everyone. I think it's definitely a matter of, of perspective, opinion, personal experience, and the wings are important to you. And I guess you know, for each fan, there's we each have our own wings. Again, Superman's my favorite character. The, the red trunks are not my wings. I mean, what are? So do you, I would, do you have yeah, seriously. Thing? More the characterization, more yeah. the characterization well, of that's, that's than anything power else. Paramount. Well, that's the thing, because you said you were like, oh, you know, he didn't have the spit curl and he didn't have the red trunk, so he's less of Superman. To me, he he was less of Superman because he didn't instill hope. Well, that, well, he was that was less because no. he was
0: less of Superman. Well, no, yeah, that Ex- was, right? That's not well, Superman. No, look, that stuff. Of of, of course, but uh, look, it's different increments. That he didn't inspire hope, and that he, let, you know, let buildings crumble, and then he snapped Zod's neck. That stuff. Means way more, but there you know, you know, it, I'm, I'm I'm pinching my fingers together right now. The the spit curl and the trunks they're still there. And then if I hold my hands wide apart, that's you know his characterization instilling hope and you know you know all the other stuff that makes Superman Superman. So yeah, there's different degrees, but they still matter to me.
2: Well, I guess at the end of the day, you know, as we said, we we each have our own wings, and I think we would agree that there there is a line between. Appealing to a wider audience yet remaining faithful and and appeasing those hardcore fans. Where that line is, maybe is different for each person, depending on what our wings are. Zach, thank you for being such a good sport with this whole wings thing. <laughs> you know, even going back to that moment in the documentary. I mean, I you know I hope you know that that was included, and discussed. You know, really just because we've all had moments like that. Like it was never you know the point of that scene was never to make fun or anything like that because no, we I, all again we all have our own wings we all have those things that we get passionate about
0: i totally get it and i appreciate it. i i think especially the way with the way you edited it with with my interview comments it's perfect it shows you know that transition from me usually being the shy kind of guy who sticks to himself but as evidence tonight when i'm you know speaking with friends or people with common interests about stuff i'm passionate about i can go on and on and on i could you know I could have gone back and forth with Mike here, you know, another few hours about, you know, oh, we, we will e- each and every. Uh you know, movie and and you know what I like about him and my my problems with him. So I you know I I appreciate that song. You know, maybe there are people who would laugh at me and think, "Oh, look at this guy! What a huge nerd! What a loser!" But um, I, you know, hey, it gave me a little bit of stardom, and you know, it's something to talk about with with you know the guys, and we can I can laugh at myself. And because when I first saw it, I'm you know someone we were watching it in the store, and someone was like, "Geez, take a breath, man!" And I'm like thinking that, "Yeah, take a breath." I'm like, "Did I take a breath there?" I think <laughs> it was just like one long thing, and I'm just like. I laugh at it and I, I, you know, I'm able to laugh at myself and I enjoy seeing it. And, you know, hey, the little bit of fame that came with it, you know,
2: as the person who edited that and was looking for a potential place to cut, you did not take a breath. <laughs> but it's funny because when after, I'm glad because I wouldn't want that to get cut. You have to no. see that thing in
0: its entirety. Well, that's
2: the funny thing because I, I can't remember for the life of me who it was, but um, maybe it was Tom. I don't know. But someone came up to me after the first screening and they were like, you know, that Zach thing like that went on a little long. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <You> know, like... <laughs> anyway. Um... Someone wanted me cut down on. Huh? No. <laughs> now but, I got to find out but who. that passion is
1: great. Right. Because... It's representative of
0: each of us and how we can get at times.
1: Well, but also, it's like you care about this thing. And regardless of what the wings, you care about this subject in a way that... Uh, other people don't. And, and to, to have that run up against the more casual fan. It's like the, 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 the best part about this stuff is when the two interact. Like I speak to you and I find myself questioning, like, why do I like The Ultimates? Like, it's something I've had to think about more often, because when I liked it originally, I was you know, I was in high school. I that ask I know. that
0: question all the time. Why does Michael? like but, The Ultimates? But, <laughs> I, but I, I really have to think about these things, and since I value
1: your opinion because I see it comes from a place of passion, I, I start thinking about my own stuff. It's like, oh, wait wait, wait a second. Why?
3: You know, and that, I take the extra step. That sure. fervent fandom only exists in comics. You don't get that <laughs> yeah. anywhere yeah. else. Maybe, maybe sports, but, like, that's a different kind of, like, yeah. slavish devotion to something. But comics, man, inspires... I've said this many times before in my career, inspires the best and the worst fans <laughs> on the planet. Like, it, it runs the gamut.
2: Really, sincerely, thank you to all of you for participating in this. Absolutely. I mean, thank, I think you this was, thank you for having Thank you for doing this. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I think this was a really fascinating conversation, and, and hopefully our listeners will enjoy um, this break from the regularly scheduled alternate realities talk i hope
1: you and i get a spin-off show i hope someone reaches out to us and is like "What, a what is going- a buddy comedy an odd oh my goodness we'd be a great buddy comedy.
2: <laughs> well maybe i mean i've really i've been giving a lot of thought as to how whether and when you know the show would continue i would like for it to continue in some form it, it wouldn't or couldn't continue in its current form where we talk about alternate reality specifically but that was sort of one of the reasons why i wanted to do an episode like this Test the waters. Test the waters a little bit and see what sort of feedback we get. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed. Again, thank you for listening. Keep tuning in to these last couple episodes. And until then, don't be a flat squirrel.